Welcome to the Crosswalk Church Podcast in Phoenix, Arizona. What an exciting series this has been because I just love going through an entire book of the Bible for one thing, but also because I think the issues that Paul is dealing with in Galatia are so relevant to our lives today. And it starts right out with how Paul approaches the Galatians in chapter three and what he's really saying to them, which is, guys, you got to get real here. Get real about your salvation and about how transformation really happens in your life. Now, just that might challenge us and might be pretty countercultural for us who are Americans because in our society, in our culture, when we hear someone say, you'd better get real, there's a little bit of an inner reaction provoked by what we believe in our culture about, well, who are you to tell me to get real? Who, who are you to say that you're in the right and I'm in the wrong? Do you have ultimate truth in your possession? And that whole idea of Christians think that they that they have some sort of ultimate truth really causes a lot of people to recoil. And, and to be honest with you, there's a reason for it because we've learned that people who claim to have ultimate truth are claiming to have ultimate truth as a power play, right? That often the reason that a person says, this is the way it has to be is because they want to exert some form of authority over you or me. And so we've learned to be suspicious of anyone. That actually goes all the way back to the philosopher Nietzsche, who, who was, uh, he, he was the founder of this philosophy called nihilism, which really said, we, we need to see through everything. We need to really view everything, everyone's truth with a little bit of skepticism, with, with a little bit of questioning in our mind. And so the Nietzsche taught that when someone says something to you and, and he says, this is truth, the first thing you should do is kind of furl your brow and go, really? How do you know that? And how do I know that you're just not trying to get power over me? Do you believe that what you're teaching is really from the Bible? Nietzsche would say, because you love God and because you love me. Believe that what you're teaching from the Bible is really true because you love yourself and you want to give yourself the right to tell me what to do. Which is it? You see, and that's the continuing question that people in our culture and society have. But I want to ask you a different question. If Nietzsche and our culture really say, we better be suspicious of everything that claims to be truth, and we better try to see through it, what happens if we carry that to its logical end and we say, you know, we need to see through everything? Imagine, for example, physically, that that wall became all of a sudden a wall of glass and you could see through that wall, which you can't see through now. What would you see? See the courtyard, right? And you might even enjoy that. That's nice. It's transparent now. I can see through that wall. I can see the beautiful courtyard outside. It's kind of rainy today. I would love that. But what if, what if you could see through the courtyard? 
And what if you could see through the ball fields, past the building and all the buildings, you'd see through all of them. And then on and on. What if you could see through it all? You know what you would have the equivalence of being? A blind person. Because ultimately, if you saw through everything, you would see nothing. Because there would be nothing to see. And, and that's really what nihilism, nihil, nihil, that word means nothing. Nietzsche taught that we need to see through everything. But the problem with that philosophy is, who is he to tell us that? If I'm supposed to see through everything, why shouldn't I see through what he's telling us? Right? So we really have to ask ourselves, is having ultimate truth a bad thing? Or is it really a matter of where's the right truth? One more illustration before we read what Paul has to say. And this is all setting up why Paul talks the way that he does. Because he's very emotional in this section. Very emotional. And I'll explain why he's so emotional. Paul, from the Holy Spirit, knows God's truth. And he sees this as real truth that people need to have and possess solidly and not go away from. And Paul knows something about human nature. For example, do you know that research shows that if you get lost in the wilderness, after a few days of being lost and probably not having enough food and enough rest, maybe a little bit of exposure, you will look at your compass and it will be pointing to true north as compasses always do. But you know what you'll do? You'll doubt the compass. And there's plenty of research on this topic that people who've been lost, it also happens, by the way, to pilots. Sometimes in weird weather, pilots will begin to doubt their instruments. Even though their instruments are telling them the truth, our minds play this little trick on us. Can I really believe this instrument, even though it's giving me the right scoop. And Paul is telling us, I gave you the gospel. And that's a compass that's pointing you to true north. And, and yes, life might be coming at you, and these Judaizers might be coming at you and telling you, question the instrument. And I'm telling you, don't question it, because this compass is pointing you to true north. Now, there's a reason why Paul gets so emotional here is because he considers himself the Galatians' spiritual father. And I don't know any of you dads out there, if you've ever had your kids wander out into a busy street and gotten a little exercised and excited about your kids playing out in that busy street. And maybe you said, no, don't you remember I told you don't play in that street? And you're not telling them that, you're not giving them that rule so that, so that they can somehow, by obeying that rule, be loved by you. You're, you're their dad. You just love them, right? You're giving them that rule to protect them. And in the same way, God, uh, Paul is saying to his spiritual children, as your spiritual father, look, 
I gave you this gospel message of Jesus and how he's died for your sins and forgiven you completely from from every wrong you've ever committed, that he's given you the gift of eternal life. You, you, You don't have to do a thing to receive this. It's a gift. Just believe it. Just believe it. He said, I gave you that. And you're my spiritual children. And man, it is so hard to see you playing in the street of legalism. I'm so worried for you right now. And with that, I want us to read together how Paul puts this. You foolish Galatians. By the way, I'm reading from NIV 2011. This is the most recent NIV translation. So if you have an older version of the NIV, it may be just slightly different. You you foolish Galatians. Who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? You see, what's happening is these Judaizers are are coming and they're seeing, saying, you got to be suspicious of Paul. You got to see through him. Now Paul's responding. Are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain if it really was in vain? So again, I ask, how does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by your believing what you heard? So also Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. You see that Paul is contrasting works and faith here. Deeds and simple belief. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. As it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly, no one who relies on the law is justified before God because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says the person who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promises of the Spirit. So again, just a little bit of history. We've, we've talked about this history the past couple weeks, but for those who maybe weren't here, just a refresher for those who were. Paul has gone out as a missionary he once was a persecutor of Christians. He, he was a, a, a Pharisee of the Pharisees, totally in love with the way that, with the idea that the way that you approach God and the way that you get reconciled to God and the way you dispense with God's anger is you got to build your own way back to him by following the rules and the customs and the traditions of the, the Jewish faith and by being a Jew. You had to be the right people to approach God. That's what the Pharisees believed. And so the Christians to the Pharisees were complete heretics. 
And so Paul had been hunting them down until one day on the road to Damascus, he's confronted by Christ himself. This is after Christ has uh, died and risen and ascended into heaven. Christ makes a special return visit just for the Apostle Paul to say, listen, guy, (laughs) you're persecuting me and I'm not caring for that because when you persecute my people, you persecute me. I'm real. And what these Christians are saying about me is real. And Paul's converted by that gospel message. And so he goes and and he he tells us in Galatians chapter 2, he spends some time in the desert of Arabia learning directly from Christ. We don't know exactly how that played out, but he he learned from him. And then he, he went out with the gospel message, the same gospel that Jesus had been teaching, as we'll see in just a moment. The same gospel that the apostles who walked with Jesus for three years had been teaching. And he begins to go out and he feels a calling. He he knows he has a calling from the Holy Spirit to go to Asia Minor and to Greece and to spread this gospel message, not to the Jews as the other apostles have begun doing, but to the Gentiles. So he does this. He goes to all these churches, Galatians in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. He shares the gospel from town to town. People believe, as we talked about yesterday, salvation comes in Jesus and only Jesus. He's all we need. That's it. He died for our sins. He rose from the grave for our justification, meaning to declare us innocent. That's all we need. A group of former Pharisees who thought of themselves as Christians, but who who said that Jesus only did part of the job. We have to finish it by becoming Jews and living according to the Jewish customs, traditions, rules, and laws, began to follow up on Paul and say, you know, Paul had part of it right, but he didn't have it all right. Yes, believe in Jesus, but also add your own efforts to it. And they began, as you can see from how Paul addresses the Galatians right here, to have an influence on the beliefs of the Galatians. That's what historically Paul is dealing with here. And he starts out in chapter 3 by saying, you foolish Galatians. That, by the way, is not a compliment. What are you doing Have they bewitched you? Have they cast a spell on you that you should so quickly give up this beautiful free gospel message and begin to believe that it's about what you do? Even even that it's about partially what you do? And and actually in this chapter, he's going to say, there is just no way to dovetail the gospel with the law. The good news of Jesus Christ with our own efforts. The moment you begin to put the law in with the gospel, you you do away with grace because the very idea of grace is that it's free. It's a gift. And the moment you do something to earn it, you make it no longer a gift. So this, this is why he's saying, and with such emotion, you foolish Galatians who has bewitched you. Wasn't I clear? Didn't I tell you right before your eyes that Jesus Christ was crucified for you, for your sins, that he paid the entire price, that you don't have a thing to worry about anymore? 
nothing to work for because it's already been given to you through Christ? So write this down. This is what Paul is saying as he starts out today. What were you thinking? Was I not clear? And Paul, Paul was teaching the exact same gospel, as I said a moment ago, that the apostles were teaching. In fact, in Acts chapter 15, you can read an account where this very issue of the Judaizers comes up and Paul gets summoned to Jerusalem and he goes there. And the apostles say, well, this is the same gospel that we're teaching. You just go on and do it, man. Teach the Gentiles, right? And we're going to only ask a few little simple things. But he's also teaching the same gospel that Jesus taught, which is the gospel that the apostles taught. Look at what Jesus taught himself. And you know this passage. This is a famous passage, right? What is the gospel? In a nutshell, it's this, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him does not perish, shall not perish, but have eternal life. There's the gospel. There it is laid out. All that needs to happen is for God to send his son and for us to believe that God sent his son for us. And then we're not going to die. We have eternal life. Now, Paul goes on. Go back up to the top of the page. Verse two. Look look at what he says here. He says, I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? How did this go down? He's really asking them. You know, what's pretty interesting is that some of these Galatians may well have been present on the day of Pentecost in Jerusalem when the Holy Spirit was poured out. And for those who were there on that day, they they knew the answer to this question. And Paul's going to ask a series of questions here as he opens up in Galatians chapter three. And the first one is, how did you get to have faith in the first place? Wasn't it by the Holy Spirit? Isn't isn't that how you came to be a believer, that the Holy Spirit came into your heart? And how did you get the Holy Spirit? Is it because you worked toward it? Or did it just happen that way? Even in Acts 15, at that council, one of the things that the apostles talk about as a proof for the very fact that God is also now coming to the Gentiles as well as to the Jews. If you read Acts 15, you'll notice somewhere around verse 7 or 8, he says, look, it's, it's clear that God wants the gospel to go to all people in the world and even to the Gentiles. Because we can see the Holy Spirit at work in their hearts. We can see him working. And that's, that's what Paul is saying is, when I went out, I didn't say, hey, first, you guys all need to get circumcised. And then um, after that, then learn these dietary regulations and, and begin to, to, uh, to dress like we Jews dress and talk like we Jews talk. And if, if after a while you kind of get that all down, maybe the Holy Spirit will come to you. We'll see. Paul didn't, he didn't, it didn't work that way. Paul just went and preached the gospel and the Holy Spirit came on them and they believed. And that's what he's saying. How did it go down with you? Wasn't it a gift from the very get go? And the Galatians are forced to step back and go, oh, oh yeah, huh? That he's right. 
That, that is how it went down. And, and it's still true for us today, isn't it? You see, one of the things that's important to understand is not just how truth works, but also how God's love works. Typically in the world, God's, God's love is thought of as, you know, if I do the right things, maybe then God will love me. If I think the right thoughts, maybe then God will feel attracted to me. And, and that is often how it works in our human relationships. So it's, it's not weird to assume that that's how it will work in God's relationship. That if I think, say, and do the right things, I can get God to be friendly toward me. But Paul says, God's love is not reactive. God's love is proactive. In other words, the one who always loves first is not you, but God. The Bible doesn't say, the Apostle John in his first epistle does not say, God loves because we first loved him. What does it say? It says, we love because God first loved us. Now, do you understand? We're talking about transformation. Do we understand the power of that kind of proactive, steady, unfailing love in our lives? Part, part of the reason Paul doesn't want the Galatians to lose this is if you lose the understanding of that kind of steady, unfailing, proactive love that God always loves you, that in fact there is nothing you can do to make God respond to you better and nothing that you can do to make God love you less. Because God is love and he loves you, not because you're lovable, not because you're adorable, not because you're lovely. You're a sinner. I'm a sinner. And in God's sight, sin is ugly and filthy and repulsive. That's just the way it is. And as sinners, that's what we are to God, but for his love. God loves the unlovable. He loves the unadorable. He loves the unlovely, me, you. That's the power. And, and, and I, I want you to take this and go, now, if I really believed that that was true and not transparent, not something to be seen through, but something that is real and solid. And if I really believed that there was such a love that was that steady and that firm, how would it change my life? How would it transform me? See, that's really the question that, 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 Paul is coming to. And and I really believe that so many of us are living shaky lives because we're out chasing love. And, And we're out chasing something steady and firm in our lives. We're out chasing a truth that won't just disappear and become transparent. Paul is saying, you already have it. You have the real solid truth and you have the real solid love of Jesus Christ. Let's go on. So Paul goes on, he asks the next next question. 
Are you so foolish after beginning by means of the spirit? Are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? I love this one. I, I absolutely, because it makes me think of me. So guys, you'll relate to, to this. How many times have you been in the middle of fixing something? And maybe you're fixing it with a friend. Maybe you're fixing it with your, your wife and you're building a table or screwing something in and, and they're helping and they tighten the screw and you go, you know what? I want that to be just a little bit tighter, right? And you come in with the screwdriver, right? And you're the guy, you're the man, right? Yeah, we can make that a little bit tighter. So you take that screwdriver and you tighten it and you tighten it. And then pretty soon, whoop, you stripped it. You tried to add just a little bit to it. And instead, Right. I, all the time this happens to me, you know, Julie and I are doing something together. We love to do little projects and I go, hon, let me just tap that one or two more times with the hammer. And I tap and I tap and the whole thing falls apart. Right. This goes way back in our relationship when we were in college and we were dating we were building a kite together. Now, this was the old school kind of kite where you had the balsa wood, you know, and you had, to, you had to bend that wood just right so that there would be tension on the kite. And it was a beautiful windy day in Minnesota where Julie was going to college. And we were putting it all together and getting it all on there. And I was going, you know, I think we can make that, that little string that bows those sticks just a little bit tighter. And I tighten them just a little bit more. And bam, those two little flimsy sticks of balsam wood just snapped and there went our kite. Isn't that sad? Come on. That's sad. I'm trying to impress this girl. This is what Paul is saying to, to, to the Galatians and to us. It's like, why do you always have to feel like you can tighten it a little more, hit it a little more, or, or bend it a little further, and make the work that I've done a little better? Are you trying to finish what I started? Stop! Because what I've started is already perfect. It's done. You don't have to do another thing. So when the Judaizers come in and they say, tap, tap, tap a little bit more. We need some Jewish traditions. We, we, we need you to follow the customs. We need you to become a Jew. You know, screw it in a little bit tighter. And then you can really be sure that God loves you. You can really be sure that you're saved. Right? What, what's Paul say? The moment you start tapping, the moment you start, dare I say it, screwing around with it, It's going to fall apart. It's going to totally fall apart because you can't mix what you do with what God has already finished. Finished. What does Jesus say on the cross? I think I put it in your crosswalk notes. Flip them over. I did, but I skipped another passage in the process. But we'll read this one now. That's okay. Notice about uh, a third of the way down the back half. When he had finished the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Did Jesus really mean that? Right before he gives up his spirit, why would he give up his spirit if it wasn't finished? Because 
He came to do exactly what Paul is saying he came to do, to save you and me from our sins and to give us eternal life. If it's not finished, why did he give up his spirit? But Jesus says, it is. It's finished. It's all done. The work is complete. So write this down in that little blank. Did you really think that you have to finish what God started? Did I give you the blank above that? Oh, man. (laughs) And this is the one they record for the podcast. (laughs) Well, going back to what it says in in verse 2, it's this. Did you really think that the Spirit comes because of what you do or simply because you believe? Who's the projector person? It's dark back there. They don't want to be seen. I'm so sorry. Oh, yeah. Verse 14. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. This is the very last verse. And it's really where Paul is heading in this section. And look at what he says. He redeemed us, meaning he purchased us at the price of his own life. In order that the blessing given to Abraham so many hundreds of years ago might come also to us, to the Gentiles, who are people who are not Jews, through Christ, through Christ Jesus. So that not by rules, not by obedience, not by our efforts, but by the Spirit and by faith, we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Basically, he's saying, just believe, just believe. The spirit does not come because of what you do. The spirit comes simply because you believe. So if we have this tendency spiritually to want to add something to what God has done, if we have this tendency spiritually to think that God approaches us because of the good things that we do, Paul says we have to fight that. We have to, first of all, recognize that it's in us, that that we have to know that we're going to have that tendency, just like we guys have that tendency to tap one or two more times, and we have to step back from it and go, no, Jesus said, it is finished. And here's why. Now I'm going to go a little bit further into what Paul says. When you rely on the law, Paul says, you're relying on something that is that is not with you being a sinner going to be a blessing to you. In fact, it's going to end up, if you trust the commandments and the rules and the laws and the traditions, it's going to end up being a curse to you. So I want you to read with me, going back to the front side, verse 5. So again, I ask, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by you believing what you heard? Is it by the works of the law or is it by believing? Now, Paul answers his own question a few verses later. Let's skip down to verse 10. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. Not under a blessing, under a curse. As it is written. Now, now he explains why. Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Why are those who are in love with the law under a curse? Look at, what, look at how Paul stacks up the terms here. 
Cursed is everyone. Underline that word. Who does not continue. Underline that word. To do. Underline the word do. Everything. Underline that. Written in the book of the law. Underline that. Now that's a stack of terms that's intended to get you and me to go. (laughs) No way. Paul, are you saying anyone who does not continue, meaning always, at all times do, every last thing written in this entire book is under a curse? Yep, that's what I'm saying. If you don't continuously do, not talk about, not think about, not recommend to others, do. Everything written in this book, Paul says, you're under a curse. Ouch. I am a bazillion times cursed. And so is everyone in our world. And that's why we need Jesus. You see, what what Paul's doing with that verse is he's slamming the door on the law. He's slamming the door on your efforts and mine. He's slamming the door on saying, I can tap, 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 and I can screw it in a little bit tighter. Paul's saying, no, you can't. Because the moment you start trying, you better do every last thing written in this book all the time. Or else you will find yourself under a curse. James says it. He says, if we keep the whole law and yet just fail at one point, we've broken the entire law. Jesus says it. He tells his disciples, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Now think about that one for a moment. That's a very simple, short way of saying what Paul's saying here. Be as perfect as God. Oh yeah, I can do that. No, no, you can't. No, I can't. Unless I simply believe in Jesus. And then Jesus says, here, let me give you my perfection. I'll be your substitute. I'll give you everything I've done. I'll deposit that into your account. Now it's yours. You can spend it down by asking for forgiveness for all your sins every day. And that's exactly what Jesus does. Last thing. Hebrews 4.10, for anyone who enters... Well, let me give you the fill in. Did you really think that your own efforts are better than God's? Paul says, no, they can't be. Your own efforts cannot be better than God's. Because the moment you start to make an effort, you have to be perfect just like God and you can't be. So in the book of Hebrews, God says to us, give it a rest. Give it a rest. Just Rest in Jesus. For anyone who enters God's rest, which is Jesus, also rests from their works. Stop trying, just as God did from his. The last argument is, these guys, these Judaizers saying, you got to be the right people. You got to be one of the good guys. You know, that's how we people act, isn't it? I mean, that's kind of how we think. We break the world down kind of like the old Westerns, right? There's the good guys and the bad guys. You ever play that when you were a kid? You know, you played cops and robbers, good guys and bad guys, right? As adults, we still think of our world in those terms. 
Now, remember what we just read. Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything that is written in the book of the law. What's the Bible teaching us about good guys and bad guys? We're all bad guys. Jesus is the only good guy. That's what the Bible teaches. Now, can you switch teams? Yep. Because Jesus and the Holy Spirit, Paul says, can draw you over to the good guy side through faith, not through efforts, not through works, but through faith. Do you want to be a true child of Abraham? Paul asks, then reject the law approach to God and just believe God's promise to you. And and he says that in chapter three, verse six. Consider Abraham. He believed God. Wait a minute. Let me, let me use the NIV 2011. So also Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. How, how did Abraham, the first Jew, get to have a relationship with God? Through faith. Understand then that those who have faith are the children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So look at verse 9. This is the key one. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. You want to be a good guy? You want to switch teams? You don't want to be on the sinner team anymore? You want to be on the saint team? All who rely on faith become just like Abraham because he was the man of faith. Reject the law approach to God. Just believe God's promise to you in Jesus. And by the way, that makes you not only a child of Abraham, Paul says it also makes you a child of God. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through what? Faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. Now, I realize I've gotten pretty theological today and not as practical. But I want to, as we close down today, I want to circle you back to this. The reason this is so practical is that we don't have to search anymore for real solid truth. The reason this is so practical is we don't have to search anymore for real solid love. Paul is saying you already have that in the gospel. You have it in Jesus Christ. And when you have real solid truth and real solid love in your life, that transforms everything that you think, that you say, and that you do. And I want you to just walk around this week wearing that for a little while. And and the moment that you start to say, well, maybe I need that person's approval. Step back from that and go, do I really? Because you know what? I already have the most important person's approval. Or, man, I don't, I don't think that I can really make it through this without knowing that my spouse or my best friend loves me. Just step back from that for a moment and go, man, it, my spouse might be shaky right now. My best friend, he won't pick up the cell phone when I call him. But what? Does that matter when I know I have a solid love and a solid truth in God? Now, 
That's an amazing thing in your life to know that you have solid truth and solid love in the cross of Jesus Christ and in his resurrection. And that's what this is saying. And so when Paul says, get real, he's really saying this, when it comes to salvation, there's no way that you have to pull the promise and the law together because the promise is sufficient in itself. God's love is real. God's son is real. And so there's no need to change horses midstream. Stick with the gospel. Stick with faith. Stick with Jesus Christ. And our next step is simply this. This is what Paul is saying when he, when he starts out with you foolish Galatians. No more wavering. Stick with the winner. The winner's name is Jesus Christ. And just believe what God has promised me. It's already complete. Clearly, no one who relies on the law is justified before God because the righteous will live by faith. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, just like the Galatians, sometimes we waver. Sometimes we think there's more that we need to do to really assure ourselves of your love. Sometimes we we think that there's more that we need to do to make sure that your truth is really the solid truth that we can base our, our lives on, not something that we have to see through. Lord, send your spirit into our hearts, not because of what we do, not, not because of how fervently we pray or how much we, how much we feel like we rely on you. Just send your spirit into our hearts as a gift, as you promised. And assure us of that steady, solid love that you have for us. Assure us that your word is truth and that in truth is freedom. And Lord, most of all, lead us to know you and all that you've done for us as a gift. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Crosswalk Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at crosswalkphoenix.com.